Gas prices nearing $5 a gallon with no relief in sight. We'll hear from House Speaker Todd Houston and talk with State Representative Greg Porter. Plus, the battle over gun reform. We'll talk with Emily Styron, the Indiana mayor whose colorful language on the topic went viral. And we'll discuss marijuana legalization with former State Senator Jim Merritt. It's all ahead right now on this week's edition of In Focus. Governor Holcomb wins a legal battle with the state's legislature. The state Supreme Court ruled Friday that a law limiting the governor's emergency powers is unconstitutional. The law would allow state lawmakers to call themselves back into a special session if the governor issued an emergency order. Governor Holcomb's office sued the legislature, arguing that law was unconstitutional. And Friday he learned that he won. He says only the governor can call a special session. We'll talk more about the details of this with our panel later today. We're also talking about the Indiana impact of these record high gas prices. With summer underway, our average price for gas right now around $5 a gallon in some places. And that's led to more calls for some sort of inflation relief here in Indiana. State House reporter Kristen Eskow spoke with lawmakers to see what they're exploring now in the midst of this crisis. Because of the state's surplus during the previous fiscal year, many Hoosier taxpayers are receiving an automatic $125 tax refund this year. Well, lawmakers tell me another tax refund is being floated as an idea to give Hoosiers some relief from inflation. As gas prices near $5 a gallon on average, Indiana lawmakers are looking for ways to help Hoosiers. State projections show Indiana's surplus could surpass $6 billion. We have the money. We just have the political will to give back to Hoosiers here in the state of Indiana. Democratic State Representative Greg Porter says lawmakers are discussing a second tax refund this year for Hoosier taxpayers. It's an idea he's supported as an alternative to suspending the gas tax a proposal that was shot down by the Republican supermajority. Porter says he wants to see taxpayers receive at least $100, though he says the state can afford to go higher. If we can go up to the 125 again uh, per person, uh, that'd be the, the five, $545 million. Republican legislative leaders were unavailable for an interview Wednesday, though House Speaker Todd Houston floated the idea of a tax refund when speaking with reporters last week. He said lawmakers are being thoughtful when it comes to the best options for relief, as the state also faces mounting costs. All these inflationary pressures are going to be in the next budget, too. You know, everybody's already coming to us. You know, the, the amount of the cost of road projects is up 50 percent in the last three months. The governor has said he expects to release his inflation relief plan sometime early this month after he's able to review the state's May revenue numbers. From the Indiana State House, I'm Kristen Escal. Kristen, thanks. Meantime, in Washington, administration officials are also desperate to find an answer that could help bring prices down. Washington correspondent Alexandra Limon has the latest from D.C. Tuesday, the president met with the country's top financial officials, Fed Chair Jerome Powell and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. To discuss my top priority, and that is addressing inflation. President Biden said to properly address the high costs Americans are paying for nearly everything, the Federal Reserve must remain independent. I know we'll use those tools and monetary policy to address the rising uh, prices for the American people. Chairman Powell has signaled another half-point interest rate hike is likely in June. While staying hands-off with the Fed, President Biden wants to help fight high prices by investing in clean energy, 
to help reduce the dependence on expensive oil and gas. President Biden also wants Congress to enact policies to help Americans pay less for child care and prescription drugs. But so far, the president hasn't been able to get Congress to make those policy goals a reality. Well, this president has actually made historic progress with Congress in passing the American Rescue Plan, passing a bipartisan infrastructure bill, both of which have contributed to a historically strong economic recovery. Brian Deese, director of the National Economic Council, says by the end of the year, the Biden administration will reduce the federal deficit by $1.7 trillion. And the president says that could be reduced even further by taxing the rich and corporations fairly. So, for example, setting a minimum tax for all corporations to pay. In Washington. Alexandra Limon. Okay, Alexandra, thanks. Meantime, the president also pleading for Congress to take action on gun control in an attempt to find some sort of common ground on this very heated issue in the wake of several recent mass shootings. Hannah Brandt takes a closer look at that debate. Hannah? On Thursday night, President Biden gave an address on gun violence, calling for things like increased age limits, stronger background checks, and an assault weapons ban and lawmakers spent their day debating over gun control. The White House looked like a vigil as the president walked down a hallway lined with candles to make a plea. Let's meet the moment. Let us finally do something. He says it's on Congress to reform our gun laws. Before his address, House lawmakers spent hours fighting over a package of gun control legislation, with things getting heated between Congressman Eric Swalwell and Louie Gomer. Who are you here for? Our kids? or the killers. How dare you, you arrogant people attributing murder to those of us that want to do things to stop it? Because we've seen what your ideas do. They create more murder. Republicans argue these bills don't tackle the real problems at the root of mass shootings. And Congressman Thomas Massey says they won't make anyone safer. All the rest of these are going to fail. The criminals do not follow the law. With funerals still ongoing in Uvalde and an investigation into another shooting happening in Tulsa, Congressman Jerry Nadler insists it's time to do something. It has not even been 24 hours since the last mass shooting, and who knows how long until the next one. The Senate is attempting a more balanced approach, with a bipartisan group of lawmakers trying to reach a compromise. Senator Chris Murphy says they're making meaningful progress. We've had really productive discussions. Our goal is to get a piece of legislation that saves lives. The House could vote on their legislation as soon as next week, but it's the Senate's legislation that really has the potential to get enough support to become law. In Washington, I'm Hannah Brandt. All right, Hannah, thanks. This week we're also hearing from the Indiana mayor whose social media comments on this issue drew backlash after an expletive-filled exchange with a gun rights supporter. Max Lewis spoke with Zionsville Mayor Emily Styron, who said she'd do it all over again if she had to. When a Zionsville jewelry shop posted on Facebook encouraging businesses to become gun-free zones, Joel Barduk threw in his two cents. My opinion is that guns don't run around killing people. People run around killing people with guns. It wasn't until the next day that he got a reply from a woman he didn't know. Started out, hey, Joel Barduk. F you. The reply was from Zionsville Mayor Emily Styron. She used her personal Facebook page to write an expletive-laced response. She referred to herself as the expletive mayor of this town and called Bardock multiple explicit names. I was just completely taken back and stunned 
In the days since, the mayor's comments have received a lot of backlash and some praise. She says she doesn't regret it. I um, have the, absolutely every right to express my opinion and my outrage over um, an entire schoolroom of children being mowed down with, an, with a gun. Siren said she is sick of the inaction from political leaders on gun reform. I've seen some of the argument made, well, you know, we are not going to solve our problems when, you know, we're sort of you know coming at people and using foul language and stuff like that. How, how do you respond? Well, to, we're not to solving that? our problems, not doing that. <laughs> There's no movement being made. Bardock doesn't live in Zionsville and says he has nothing against the mayor, but doesn't believe her approach was appropriate. If it means that much to you, if you're really that passionate about it, then come constructive, you know, approach it like the professional you claim to be. In Zionsville, I'm Max Lewis. Right, a spokesman for the Indiana Democrats said the mayor used her American right quite colorfully to speak up and demand action because as a mother and like so many other Americans, she's sick and tired of children dying to senseless gun violence. While a spokesman for the Indiana GOP said the lack of leadership on display from Mayor Styron is yet another example that she's not fit for this office and that the people of Zionsville deserve better. They say it's clear that the mayor's term can't and soon enough in their words. Meantime, a number of Indiana mayors have sent a letter to the U.S. Senate calling for gun reform. The mayors of Indianapolis, Carmel, Fort Wayne, Gary, and Anderson are among those who signed it. We'll talk more about gun reform later today with our panel. Meantime, at the State House this summer, Indiana lawmakers will also talk about the use of cannabis. This amid a ramped up effort by state Democrats and some Republicans to legalize marijuana. Legislative leaders say a committee will study health benefits and consequences of THC products as well as potential decriminalization. Lawmakers say that could also include ideas for regulating Delta-8, the chemical compound found in hemp. What we really wanna know is, is it a wise move for Indiana in the long run, economically, um, from a societal standpoint? And if so, um, what can we learn from those states that have passed the legalization or decriminalization efforts? We uh, in Indiana have been slower to go that direction than states that are surrounding us, as you all know, and, uh, uh, but we don't live in a vacuum, so we have to figure out where we are and where Indiana stands there, and I think this is going to be an important conversation to have this summer for, uh, for where Indiana moves. State yeah. Senator Rod Bray there. Previously, Republican legislative leaders have declined to advance marijuana bills, arguing that it's better to wait for federal legalization first. Some Republicans have been calling for the GOP to support legalization efforts, including former state Senator Jim Merritt, who joins us now. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Dan. Why do you think it's the right move for Indiana to legalize marijuana? Well, well first of all, I think the, the, the uh, summer study committee that they're assigned it to is a health committee. And the overwhelming feeling in Indiana, as far as I know, is uh, cannabis in a health situation. And, and I think the idea of, of um, cannabis coming in the state uh, from Mexico that's been cut with fentanyl, if we can just regulate it and, and legalize it and regulate it, I think we would have more of a control over it. Yeah, you served in the General Assembly, though. This is still very much an uphill battle for those who favor legalization. How long will it be, in your view, realistically, before Indiana does join the list of other states that have made moves to, to legalize weed? Well, Representative Austin's exactly right. We need to see what best practices are and worst practices are. Yeah. I think it's going to be a couple of years, but I, I think you'll see a, a medical cannabis bill in the legislature next year. 
you think it could move that quickly? Will, mm -hmm. will it have enough support to pass, do you think? I think it will. I think especially with the medical end of it. Ohio's had a good experience with it. They have a good model. They've refined it. A number of other states around us Absolutely, have. Yeah. around the country. And uh, uh, I think the legislature, and thank you for, uh, you know, for the General Assembly to have these study committees, uh, because I think it's really important. Medicinal marijuana first, yes. you suspect. Mm -hmm. It will come incrementally. And you talked so. about Delta-8. Yeah. Uh, that needs regulation itself. It, it ought to be behind the counter. It ought to be um, by identification. And the staff who's running the gas station or whatnot uh, ought to be trained. Finally, you've talked about a possible run for governor in 2024. Mm -hmm. You're still considering a run. And what was your reaction to this? Supreme Court ruling Friday that could impact future governors, siding with Governor Holcomb over the legislature. Well, I, yeah, I am, re, I am thinking about running for governor in 2024, number one. And two, uh, the, I'm not sure what the legislature was thinking in this regard because the Constitution is rock solid on this, and the 5-0 uh, vote at the, at the Supreme Court was exactly what I expected. Okay, we'll talk more about it with our panel. We'll, we'll talk more with you in the months ahead as well, I'm sure. Thank you so much, we appreciate it. Former Senator Jim Merritt with us here today. All right, coming up next on this week's edition of In Focus, we'll talk with our panel about the president's remarks on gun control and what he's saying about the fight against inflation. And later, some Indiana doctors calling for continued abortion rights, asking the governor not to call a special session if Roe v. Wade is overturned. Coming up, the effects doctors fear a change in the law could have. Welcome back. Our panel joining us here in our new studio, including former state party chair for the Indiana Democrats, Robin Winston and former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy. And with us today on Zoom, you Indy political science professor, Dr. Laura Wilson and Politico's Adam Wren, who's also the author of the Importantville newsletter on Indiana politics. Let's start with the president's remarks on gun control. The House trying to move a bill, the Senate trying to find some kind of compromise that would have to be far more moderate. Robin, do you expect we'll actually see Congress get something done on this issue of guns this time around? I do. I do, Dan. Um, I, and maybe background checks. Um, I don't know about banning assault weapons. But I do believe the background check will work. Uh, there's just too much momentum. You know, the other day I was trying to talk about the number of shootings, and I left out places where shootings had occurred because there's so many. Another one this week in Tulsa. Another yeah. one in Tulsa. So I do think you're going to see some activity. What do you think? Is there any common ground to be, to be found on this issue, Mike? What, what, Absolutely. What Absolutely. Yeah. First of all, the NRA was in favor, testified before Congress in the 1990s, in favor of universal background checks. That can always come back. Also, the, the two most recent ones, uh, both or two of the most recent ones, Buffalo and Texas, both those guys were investigated for mental health problems while they were juveniles for making threats, and yet the gun uh, shop owners did not have access to their juvenile records to be able to deny them. So we need to do something about making juvenile records accessible to a point, maybe up to the age of 21 or whatever, so that gun uh, gun store owners can have access and say no to these people. But Laura, this is obviously such such a heated topic in politics, right? I mean, we saw the controversy over the Zionsville mayor's comments. Some applauded her colorful language, while others said it went too far, to which the mayor said you should be way more upset that elementary students were gunned down in their classroom. 
Yeah, and specifically to that point, I think um, you see the juxtaposition maybe of the profanity and the policy, the positions, um, but no doubt she certainly is very passionate about that issue. When we looked at the House Judiciary Committee this week, it seems very divided on partisan lines about what will happen in Congress in terms of legislation. And I even appreciate that President Biden said he was in the Senate for 36 years and he's never fully confident of action. Uh, but that said, along with Robin and Mike, this does feel like the right time. And we say, finally, after so many instances, it does seem like there's an opportunity for compromise and things that previously the political parties might not have been willing to cede. There has to be some kind of common ground. This might be the moment where we ultimately find that. Adam, meantime, a handful of Indiana mayors, part of a bipartisan letter that was sent to the U.S. U.S. Senate calling for gun reform, among them a, a suburban Indiana Republican, Carmel Mayor Jim Brainerd, among a small number in the GOP, perhaps willing to push this issue a little further than most. Yeah, Mayor Brainerd has been an outspoken uh, advocate for issues like this and also for, for climate change. Um, he's sort of the rare Hoosier Republican willing to, to take stances um, on issues that he believes uh, are essential to safe cities. Um, and both climate change and gun control uh, are among them. You wrote in Politico this week about uh, some of the political dynamics involved in, in Noblesville, where they had a school shooting a few years back. All right, lots to discuss on the gun reform issue still, and we will uh, later uh, throughout the coming weeks. But also, as we mentioned at the top of the program, the economy also front and center right now with this record-breaking inflation. And, and as the price of gas gets higher and higher, Robin, the president's approval ratings certainly seem to get lower and lower. Well, yeah, but uh, we're the party back here in Indiana it's called on Governor Holcomb to release some of the $6 billion in the surplus to give Hoosiers tax relief. Dan, when I was chairman, I was fortunate to work with Governor O'Bannon, and we, re we capped the gasoline tax at that point. That was what it was like a dollar something a gallon. We're almost at $5 a gallon now. We are over $5. In, in some, some places, places, yes. Yeah. This is going to have an impact on people being able to get to work. It's a sensible thing the governor should do, and we should address that issue immediately. Mike, I want to get your reaction to that. State Democrats well, have called for a suspension there of the gas tax. The governor says he's pushing for some kind of inflation relief, right? How, do you, how quickly do you think the state can well, act here on something? First of all, I think the governor's doing the exact right thing. He can't just, you know, he can't just jump at the politically popular. Um, if, you, if you reduce or eliminate the gas tax, you're also reducing or eliminating the gas tax for every tourist who drives through the state of, every, of Indiana every trucker who drives through the state of Indiana. Now, if Holcomb wants to grant tax relief nationwide and become really popular, I guess he could do that. But what he needs to do is come up with a plan that really impacts Hoosiers for the longer term for the good. And I think he's asked his legislature to come up with that. And we'll wait. I trust him. We'll come up and see what happens in the next several weeks. At the federal, state, and local level, something that affects all of us in terms of these rising prices. Hey, speaking about the governor, obviously there was the lawsuit uh, in the Supreme Court, Laura. Let's talk about that here as we discuss the governor's win in that uh, lawsuit against the General Assembly, the court weighing in on that very important separation of powers question. It's very important. And that was a unanimous five to zero decision that the Indiana Supreme Court handed down on Friday, really reaffirming the powers that the governor has. And this is important for the governor. It's important for the executive branch. Of course, it's a win for Eric Holcomb, but also just reaffirming gubernatorial powers as set forth by the Indiana State Constitution. It just says the Indiana General Assembly does not have the right to call itself into special session. And obviously, there's been a lot of tension and conflict between the legislature and the executive branch. 
branch. Uh, but here you had the judicial branch coming in and they said, no, no, that is the executive power yeah. and that power lies within the governor. Adam, your reaction to that ruling and what it means for Governor Holcomb's uh, standing uh, politically within Indiana and as the head of our state government? Well, it certainly buttresses his political standing, although in a couple of weeks when uh, Republicans meet for their state convention and select a, a secretary of state, we could see 1,800 of the GOP delegates kind of go against his pick, Holly Sullivan, the, the incumbent, and go with a candidate like Diego Morales. So his his standing, um, you know, could be difficult, particularly as he uh, if he potentially yeah. looks at running for Senate in a Republican primary in 2024. Um, he is okay. he is not well received received by the grassroots of this party, even though statewide he's overwhelmingly popular. Okay, we'll see how it all shakes out. Our thanks to the panel. Coming up next, Indiana doctors calling for continued abortion rights, asking the governor not to call a special session if Roe v. Wade is overturned. We'll talk with them coming up next. More than 300 Hoosier health care providers have signed a letter to Governor Eric Holcomb asking him not to call a special session on abortion if Roe v. Wade is overturned. Some of them delivered their message to the governor's office this past week. Their letter raising concerns about the potential impact abortion restrictions could have on women's health and infant mortality. If a pregnancy is carried to term and that person is in danger of having some kind of complication, that could leave the infant without a mother. Uh, so we have to ask ourselves, you know, what is the what are we trying to achieve here? There are some doctors who say they would support an abortion ban, arguing the procedure sometimes leads to negative impacts on mental health. We have more of that on our website. Stick around. We're back to wrap things up right after this. Time for this week's winners and losers. Mike, I'll start with you. Well, it has to be the Supreme Court decision on Friday. A big victory for Eric Holcomb, a huge loss for Okita and legislative uh, leaders. They tried to poke the bear, and the bear bit him in the behind. Robin? Uh, the parents of school children that graduated this year, Dan. I mean, we spend so much time talking about the tragedies, but let's remember that there are 1.1 million public school students in Indiana. A lot of kids graduated even from elementary school this week. So yeah. that's a positive thing about our, our state's future. Adam. Yeah, my winner is uh, Zinesville Mayor Emily uh, Styron. Whatever you think of her, her language, uh, from a a sheer public relations standpoint, she really elevated the issue of, of gun violence on a national level. Laura. My winner is unemployment numbers are great. They're actually at a 53-year low in terms of Americans collecting unemployment with the jobless rate at 3.9%. But unfortunately, inflation is at a 41-year high and the gas prices keep going up. All right, that's going to do it. We'll leave it there. Our thanks to the panel. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you again next week.